Thank you for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Canada's long-term care homes are really feeling the seventh wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. What's going on with the renovations at Hamilton's downtown arena? There's a new hotspot in Hamilton for traveling professionals. Meet the man who's paddleboarding across all five Great Lakes. A therapist weighs in on the idea of staying in a miserable marriage instead of getting a divorce. And we bring you an eye-catching neighborhood dispute in Burlington. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Yes, cases of the virus within Canada's long-term care homes are beginning to rise and rise substantially as we are in this now seventh wave of the pandemic. Outbreaks in Ontario's long-term care homes more than doubling in the first week of this month. They've risen from 20 to 42 And as we know, Ontario previously had a COVID-19 immunization policy for people working at long-term care facilities, for volunteering at those facilities, or for visiting a loved one in a long-term care home. Should that be re-implemented? It was ditched back in, I think it was March. Is that something that needs to come back? Do other measures have to be re-implemented? Thomas Tenkate is a professor in the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Thomas, welcome back to the show. How are you? Uh, Good, thanks, Rick. Thanks very much. 96% of eligible long-term care residents in Ontario have three vaccine doses. More than 80% have received a fourth dose, and 88% of long-term care staff have three COVID shots. Given those stats, is the infection rate that we're now seeing in long-term care facilities a surprise? From my perspective, it's not a surprise because what we know is that the the vaccines, uh, and particularly, you know, if you've got your third dose, you're you're reasonably protected, but you're not hugely protected from, uh, you know, the you're hugely protected from the very uh, serious outcomes, but you're not uh, protected from uh, lower level outcomes. But you, it doesn't mean that you can't spread spread the virus. And so, so I suppose you know what we've got to remember is that even if you might uh, be vaccinated, it doesn't mean that you can't still spread the, spread the uh, spread the infection. And so, so we've really got to uh, sort of say, well, you know. The, People in in long term care are very vulnerable. You know, it's it's great that we have the 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 numbers that we have in for 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 vaccinations in in the, in long term care residents, but what we see is what in essence what happens in the community will get uh, brought into those long term care homes uh, because of uh, you know staff and visitors who are you know within the broader community, and so so if if there's a a lower uh, level of vaccination in the community, as well as uh, you know, a lot more circulation of the infection within the community, that will necessarily then move into those longer term, long term care homes, and then increase uh, impacts on on the residents. So, so it really means that we have to start thinking about, you know, what what measures do we need to put in place both within the within the long term care homes, as well as for staff. Uh, volunteers and visitors. My guess is because we're seeing cases rise from 20 to 42, and again, this is across the province, uh, because those are not deaths, we're not seeing a a vast increase in COVID-related deaths at long-term care homes. My guess is that we're not going to see the return of any 
um, um, policies that we saw before in long-term care facilities. Is that your sense as well? Yeah, like I think definitely the that those measures that were really the the really hard lockdowns that stopped uh, residents having visitors. Uh, that's really very you know they're very much the last last measure or the last you know because you know that they have uh, you know broad range of impacts uh, themselves in regard to isolation and, and uh, you know feeling you know feelings of disconnect for for the residents. So 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 we really have to look at those as the last line of resort. But if but but uh, definitely looking at uh, you know staff and visitors uh, being fully vaccinated, as in uh, you know having the fourth fourth booster, as well as you know you can look at uh, rapid testing of all visitors. You know we know that even though rapid testing is uh, you know has its pluses and minuses, uh, you know and then you know the definitely the uh, you know masking and hand washing with when people are actually within the facility. So. So there are a range of other measures that you could put in place versus that that really hard lockdown, I think. The ramping up of rapid testing for staff and visitors has been recommended by some in the healthcare industry. Do you, do you think the government goes that route? And, and perhaps if they do, maybe they'll start it in the fall, as we know, with the colder weather approaching, uh, certainly in the winter months, that might be the case? Well, like I'd, I'd like to think that they'd start that earlier than, than the fall. I think if we leave it to the fall, we'll, we would have uh, you know, not protected people as best as we can, you know, in, in the in the intervening period. So so I think, you know, the sooner that, you know, uh, facilities are able to implement these additional layers of protection for, for their residents, I think the better. So, you know, whether or not, a, you know, uh, whether or not the government you know, imposes it on a facility, I think from a facility perspective, they should really be seriously saying, well, how can we try and manage things within our own facility and, uh, you know, even bring in their own measures like this to uh, try and protect their residents as much as possible? Can specific public health units implement this type of policy? Yeah, yeah. As, as far as I'm aware, the, you know, under the legislation, in, individual public health units can, uh, uh, through their medical offices of health, can, can have their own uh, measures as well. And we, we saw that at the start of the pandemic, where there was general general measures across the province, where cert, whereas certain public health units had additional measures, and that's definitely you know a possibility. And I'm sure that the uh, medical officers of health in the various public health units, and particularly those that are that are seeing you know more out, uh, outbreaks, and and there are some uh, public health units within the province that are having a lot more uh, infection. Than, than other public health units, and so so you know particularly public health units that are having a lot uh, you know a, a significantly increased number of, of cases, a lot more infection within their community, and as well as uh, those that that have uh, long term care homes in that that are seeing these uh, seeing uh, increasing outbreaks, really need to be thinking about. Uh, additional measures, particularly in their own public health unit area. should make mention, too, this uh, rise in cases within um, long-term care homes isn't just an Ontario thing. Other provinces reporting the same. Thomas, we've got to leave it there. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks very much, Rick. Have a great day. That is Thomas Tenkate, professor in the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University. 
You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You have probably heard that Hamilton's first Ontario center, the downtown rink, is going to get a facelift. Actually, more than just a facelift. We're talking tens of millions of dollars. Original budget was about a $50 million renovation project that has been upped to anywhere between 100 and $200 million. The issue is now that this revitalization project, which is going to change the downtown landscape, is not going ahead as scheduled. There's a little bit of a delay. Well, let's find out what's going on here with Jasper Kujawski, a partner and arena project director with the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group. Jasper, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Rick. Good morning to you, too. Good morning. What's going on with the delay? Tell us what's happening. Well, I wouldn't... The way it's being described is a delay. What was originally conceived of when we first proposed the the renovation in one of the earlier scheduling was that we thought there might be the ability to stage it. In other words, to start some work in the summer, start stop in the fall, and then restart. If you go back to the renovation of Madison Square Garden between 2010 and 2012, it was a huge project that was staged over three consecutive summers. And so there was talk about potentially, had we been able to do it, doing some work in the summer of 22 and reopening for the the sports season. But when we joined with Oakview Group and the project went to a much different, larger and much more elaborate and and significant level, we looked at it and said, no, we have to, you know, start the project, close the building down, you know, do what needs to be done and reopen with a completely transformed arena. And accordingly, that meant that the 22-23 sports season would remain undisrupted but that once that was over in the you know around the spring of 2023 the building would shut down and it will be completely transformed and then reopen as the renovated coliseum so it was a scheduling issue and a staging issue that was largely affected by the scope of the project which as is now becoming much more public is is significantly larger than what was originally agreed to in the deal we signed with the city. So when the arena is closed down in the spring of 23, which you just mentioned, how how long of a closure are we anticipating here? Well, I, I mean, as we have stated and as, in fact, we've discussed with a number of the people involved, at a minimum, the 23-24 sports season is going to be disrupted and we're going to work with everybody and everybody has to be aware that they... And they are that they will need to, you know, make provisions for the 23-24 season. We're not setting a hard completion date because it's a very significant project. And but at a minimum, the 23-24 sports season is going to be affected by this. So odds are by the 24-25 season. So so fall of 24, this should be done. We hope so. And we're going to do our best, and it all depends on what exact date we get to start. This is partly going to be affected by the sports season in 22-23. For example, this year, I think everybody I was obviously thrilled that the Bulldogs went on the run that they did. And accordingly, because of that, the building would not even have been available. Let's say we were dealing with this year, next year. When you look at the dates, the you know the the sports season could have ended much earlier if both the Rock and the Bulldogs had not gone on significant playoff runs. 
Uh, I think everybody hopes that happens again. So our start date will be affected by what the sports season next year looks like, and that will also, you know, flow into when when the completion date. But it's it's not a short project. Now we're not talking about ten years, but we're not talking about six months either. So at a minimum, we're into more than a year, and uh, you know we will get it done as as quickly as possible. But you can't rush it. You don't want to make mistakes, and you want to make sure that the final product is going to be a transformed coliseum that serves this community for generations to come. We only got about a minute. What is the biggest difference the average sports fan is going to see when they step inside the new arena? Oh, there's so many different things, but I'll just I'll just name one. Besides differences outside and facades and you know video boards and other things, but most people have never even been on what is referred to as the hidden concourse, which is over eighty thousand square feet at street level, which is at the same level as the main entrance, the box office, and the bulldogs' offices. That stretches all the way around the arena and yet it's completely unused other than storage. And now all of that is going to be activated. And when you come in on York Boulevard and you, there's a whole world of things happening right at street level going into the building that right now is just a bunch of stairs that uh, most people don't even use, I think that'll be one of the things that will, will get people's attention. But it's just one of many. It's going to be an exciting venture. Jasper, appreciate the time today. Good luck with the project. Thank you so much. Jasper Kujawski is a partner and arena project director with the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We know that Hamilton is a happening place. We know a lot of people are coming to the city to work, live, and play. Well, now, traveling professionals who are looking to stay at an extended stay apartment in Hamilton have a new option, and that option is located in the heart of the city. Matthew Opferkuch is the co-founder and CEO of The Laundry Rooms, and Aaron McCluskey also from The Laundry Rooms. Both of them join us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Matthew, Aaron, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Well, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, we'll start with Matthew. Um, the Laundry Rooms, give us a nutshell of what it is. Sure. We are, as you said, an, an extended stay alternative. Uh, we effectively provide sort of all the comforts of home, you know, full residential apartments, 800, 900 square feet, and then provide services that would be similar to a luxury hotel, concierge services, co-working spaces, you know, again, everything you'd associate with a traveling professional. And Aaron, where is this located? Uh, this is located right in the heart of downtown, like you said, at Augusta and Houston. And so what is the target market, Aaron? The target market, as Matthew said, we are really going for the traveling professional. So as you know, COVID has taught us all that the workplace has been changing. People are digital nomads now. They are traveling more often for work. And when they do travel, they want to travel with the comforts of home, which means with their families and often with their pets. Yeah, digital nomads is a great way to put it. Uh, Matthew, are there many traveling professionals coming in and out of Hamilton? Is this is this going to be a happening place? No question. Uh, you know, it's well documented. There have been over a billion dollars worth of uh, development projected over the course of the next year in Hamilton. Uh, tens of thousands of professionals will be moving in and out of the city. Uh, no doubt, uh, many of them working on, on projects over several weeks and months at a time. Aaron, how did the idea come about to, to set this um, facility up? This was really, you know, it was kind of exciting in the sense that it was born um, 
from several different people in Hamilton and in the KW region. We had, so our little design studio in downtown Hamilton had a little apartment above it that we were planning on creating um, essentially a hub for traveling professionals that we uh, mentioned to uh, Jason Cassis, who's our friend and uh, owner of Equal Parts Hospitality. He talked with us about potentially pluralizing that concept and putting, you know, some in Kitchener-Waterloo, some in Barrie, some in London, Ontario. We then connected with Matthew, who um, has tons of experience in the hotel um, operations world. And from there, the rest was history, really. Our guests on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Matthew Opfrakuch and Aaron McCluskey from The Laundry Rooms. Matthew, how'd you come up with the name The Laundry Rooms? <laughs> well, that was... Uh, uh, that I, I have to... Uh, bow my head to the folks at the Laundry Design Works, uh, who are our partners. You know, we, we have four partners in this endeavor, uh, one of whom is, in fact, the Laundry Design Works, and uh, and uh, they are entirely responsible for the name. And this is an extended stay apartment, so is is the competition really Airbnb? Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, you know, we, we see ourselves as a completely new segment. Uh, we work with Airbnb from time to time. Uh, we, you know, we sort of slot right between hotels and, and permanent residences. These, these, for the most part, our consumers are here for, as I mentioned earlier, sort of a few weeks or even a few months at a time. Uh, they don't want to stay in a hotel with 300 square feet, and they don't necessarily want to commit to a, a you know, a lease of uh, a year or more. Aaron, I understand there is a restaurant bar on the roof as well. Is this true? Yes, that's correct. So one of our clients is Catch Hospitality. They own a fantastic restaurant in Bronte called Plank Resto Bar. So we're really happy to say that that will be coming to the ground floor of the building on Augusta Street. And uh, they'll also be taking the rooftop to activate that as well. Wow, that is pretty cool. And Give us a description of what one of these units looks like. These units are fun. We really kind of designed these so that when you walk in, it makes you smile. And to be honest, they're kind of a love letter to Hamilton. We really wanted to create a sense of locality and a sense of place when you stay. We didn't want someone to check into this hotel and or this, um, sorry, extended stay residence and feel like they were anywhere. We wanted them to know that they were in Hamilton. So we've done that through working with a local artist to produce all of the artwork in the room. Nathan Eugene Carson, he's fantastic. We also took things like vintage Hamilton postcards and blew them up to the size of a wall. We took old ticket stubs from concerts at Hamilton Place and First Ontario Centre and collaged them into a giant uh, accent wall and bedroom. So people really do feel like they're staying in Hamilton. Matthew, are there plans to um, have uh, additional extended stay apartments here in Hamilton? Yeah, there certainly are. Uh, we've already had discussions with a number of the developers in the area. And we see we see room for another two, possibly even three locations uh, in the city of Hamilton. Yeah. Wow. If someone wants to book a room, where do they go? You can go directly to our website, uh, laundryrooms.ca, and book direct, much like you would a conventional hotel, um, and uh, or you can uh, call us directly. Well, it looks like a lot of fun. Looks like a great venture and a great business idea as well. Matthew, Aaron, thank you for the time today. Great uh, job already, and best of luck going forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is Aaron McCluskey and Matthew Oprakuch. They are with The Laundry Rooms. And as Matthew mentioned, thelaundryrooms.ca. Prepare to be blown away. I mean, this is a pretty neat concept. And the interior is basically like a, a little apartment. You know, you got your, your stove and your oven, 
your microwave, your kitchen area, your bedroom, or your living room, all in Hamilton. It might be, you know, I'm thinking about traveling professionals. It might be just good a good getaway for couples or maybe the family. Just, you know, get out of the house, do something different. Explore another part of Hamilton, if you will. Pretty cool idea. And as we know, Hamilton's economic development is booming. A billion dollars already in ECDEV this year. Probably going to hit $2 billion, I would imagine, by the end of the year. A lot of um, high-tech professionals in the tech sector coming to Hamilton, whether it's on a permanent basis or flying in and out. This is a great initiative to bring those people in and say, hey, here's, a, here's an area you can stay in with lots to see and do around, and uh, you can do it all in one place. So hats off to the laundry rooms. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Not sure if you've been following this story, but it is an incredible one. There's a guy, we had him on the show, I want to say a couple months ago at least, before he got into his latest fundraiser. He's more than halfway to his goal of becoming the first ever person with a disability to paddleboard across all five Great Lakes as he raises money for mental health supports for youth. His name is Mike Shorman. He's the unbalanced paddleboarder, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mike, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How is the quest going to conquer all five Great Lakes? Uh, so we've got three three under the belt. So uh, moving on to number four, Lake Michigan, um, next week. So just just finished crossing Lake Superior. And, um, and yeah, no, feeling, feeling good, but tired. Well, yeah, I can imagine. I won't blame you for, for feeling that way. You, uh, you have Ramsey Hunt syndrome. You were diagnosed in 2018. This is the same, uh, diagnosis that Justin Bieber recently got. I want, I want to touch on that in a few minutes, but you've crossed, um, lakes, uh, Superior, Huron and Erie. Which one was the toughest and which was the easiest? Uh, so, so I think the, the toughest was like Huron because of the, the distance. Um, that was a 28 hour crossing. Um, it started early on a Sunday and ended midday on a Monday. Um, and it involved paddling through the night. The weather changed four different times while we were out there. So it was, it was really challenging. I was, you know, helped off the beach by, by paramedics. <laughs> it was, uh, it was pretty it was it was a hard go, but um, yeah, no. The I think I, w- I don't want to say the easiest, but the smoothest <laughs> was was Lake Superior. It was surfing weather for for days. Lake Superior is notoriously violent, uh, notoriously known for being violent and and um, and big waves. And um, and I was told the night before I went to bed that it was going to calm down and that the water was going to be smooth as glass when I woke up. And it was, it was incredibly foggy. We couldn't see anything. Um, but it was, the water was very smooth and the wind was behind me and the current was with me. And I was going about three and a half miles an hour, um, to the point that the American media was calling the teams on my boats. And, and they said, um, you're going to, you're going to have to pack up your stuff. Mike's going to be there, um, about six hours early. Wow. Yeah. What are you thinking as you're in this hours long excursion? What's rolling around through the cranium? So it depends. Um, sometimes I'm just in the moment, really enjoying it, um, thinking, you know, how how is this? How is this possible? How is this happening? Um, and and I'm just enjoying 
you know, just, just being out there. Sometimes um, I enjoy just, just, you know, talking with my teams uh, through throughout Lake Huron, especially in the evening, we had very deep conversations, uh, and and that was purposeful on my part um, because I'm trying to stay alert uh, because you're going because I'm going through the evening and and it's dangerous out there and and I'm trying to stay um, with them and also I'm th- I'm thinking about who this is for and this is to raise money for for Canadian kids to put mental health programs in schools, high schools, colleges, universities across Canada. We're chatting with Mike Shorman, the unbalanced paddleboarder who has Ramsey Hunt syndrome and is paddleboarding across all five Great Lakes to raise money for mental health supports for youth. As I mentioned, Justin Bieber received a diagnosis very similar to yours, which gained a lot of attention. Has that garnered more attention for your fundraiser? I think... You know, when people talk about Ramsey Hunt, my, you know, I, I was talking about it with my dad, and my dad said, "Well, you know, whenever, whenever I talk about, whenever I talk about Ramsey Hunt syndrome, people know now. I think they don't realize how how severe it can how severe it can be. Um, you know, some people have come up to me and said, "Oh, you you had facial palsy like Justin Bieber." Um, I also got sent for MRIs to rule out brain damage. Um, I had to learn how to walk again. It's um, it's a spectrum thing, and, and I think people are learning more about it now, which is good. Have you spoken to the Beebs, or have you tried to reach out to them? Uh, I've reached out to to the parents, so it's out there. Um, and if the time comes, I I um, when when I was diagnosed, I I wrote to I wrote to Tony Horton, who's the founder of P90X, um, who who you know Ramsey Head Syndrome put him in a wheelchair. And um, and I wrote to him in a time of need about six months afterwards, and he was very kind and and he wrote back and and he's been a, a huge support for me. So yeah, that is awesome. You mentioned you're going to tackle Lake Michigan uh, in about a week, uh, Lake Ontario. When does that come? Because that'll be the last one on the uh, on the hit list. Yes, so Lake Ontario will be pretty pretty close after Lake Michigan. It is scheduled for between the second and the third week of August, weather permitting, um, and that will be arriving into into the Toronto Harbor. That is awesome. When is or where can people make a donation? So people can make a donation at jack.org forward slash five Great Lakes number five Great Lakes, and um, and it's all for a great cause. Uh, we've got some exciting things going on on the website, um, and yeah, no, it's um, and it's it's um, it's an exciting thing. People can find me on social media, um, and all the links are in all of my bios on social media. Great stuff, Mike. We wish you nothing but the best. We'll have to catch up with you in August once you're all done and completed this journey successfully. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. That's Mike Shorman, the unbalanced paddleboarder. Ramsey Hunt syndrome is not stopping him as he's trying to become the first person with a disability to paddleboard across all five Great Lakes. Jack.org is the website forward slash five Great Lakes to donate to the cause. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, because I realized that everything I've been doing up to now, the bathing, the brushing, the changing of the socks, the <laughs> being nice to people, trying to succeed, it's all for nothing. All those things are designed to attract. Why should I be attractive? I'm married with children. That is the great Al Bundy. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Interesting article recently 
that landed in the New York Times published a couple of stories last month which kind of discouraged divorce and favored staying in unhappy marriages. But is that something we should be doing? Kelly Fife is a Hamilton-based therapist specializing in individual couples and family therapy and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kelly, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. We, we know we have to speak in generalities because every individual and every relationship is different. But are you yes. seeing are you seeing more or less couples staying together even though they're unhappy? Well, I think it's tough because in couples therapy, you often get people who come for a little while and then you don't see them again, right? Um, is that because they've chosen to stay or is that because they've chosen to separate? Sometimes it's hard to know unless they come back and you see them again later, yeah. right? Um, so I can't necessarily say if the trend is changing over time or not, but I can certainly say that you see lots of people in unhappy marriages who are coming and trying and saying they're trying to do everything they can to make it work. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. I think maybe the question I should have asked, are are you seeing more people come to your door to say, hey, we need some help? Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think especially over the past two years, um, things have become more and more difficult for couples, especially couples spending all day, every day at home with the pandemic, some of them are realizing that that maybe they're not as compatible as they thought they were. Again, every individual and every couple is different, but is there a common denominator, maybe a few of them, in miserable marriages? Um, Yeah, I would say that the the typical problems are often around parenting. Um, When you ask people, when did the problems start to show up? It's often after they had their first child, just losing sight of each other and and not adapting well as a romantic couple um, to to having a child. I think there's also a lot of um, differences in opinions and finances and financial stress. And I would say the other one is, is differences in sex drive or how much sex each partner wants or yeah. if, if they wanted it all sometimes. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Kelly Fife, Hamilton-based therapist specializing in individual couples and family therapy. We're talking about a couple of articles in the New York Times that was published last month which discouraged divorce and favored staying in unhappy marriages. What do most couples need to work on? Is it simply communication? Yeah, I think all of them come saying that they need to communicate better. But, you know, sometimes you see them and and they seem to communicate quite well. So sometimes, you know, it's actually what are the things that they're communicating about that are problems for them, right? Um, So sometimes there's significant value differences that couples have around different things that no matter how well they communicate, um, it's still really hard to to maybe respect each other's um, points of view or to understand where each other are coming from. So, yes, the better you can communicate about those things, the more successful and happy I would say your marriage is going to be. But sometimes there are just certain things where no matter how well you're communicating about them, um, for example, a lack of desire for sex or um, a desire for an open marriage, sometimes no matter how well you communicate about those things, um, it just means that um, your marriage may not work still, depending on how big those differences are, right? Or that you may not be able to be as happy as you would like to be. 
people who come to see you and gain your advice, I, I would I would think that they believe their marriage can be saved if they're in a, a miserable relationship. Can every marriage be saved, or can you see kind of the light at the end of the tunnel before they can? Um, I mean, I think that's probably what I was alluding to there with that with that last answer mm-hmm. is that sometimes there are so many differences around really big things, wants, needs, desires, that I think it can be really hard to save. And I guess when I say save, what I'm saying is stay together and actually be fulfilled and happy, right? Because I think that there are a lot of couples that will choose never to separate or divorce. Um, And we could say that those relationships are saved, but I think the reality is, is that, um, you know, many of these people live unfulfilled and unhappy marriages, and I'm not sure that, that that necessarily means that they have been saved, right? Yeah, that's not a good place to be in. we got about 30 seconds. I do want to ask you this. Is the, yeah. idea, is the idea of marriage these days still as important as ever before? I, I think that that's, that's definitely a personal value question. So I would say that you know, I work with couples based on where they're at and, and what they come to me believing in. So if, if it's important to them um, to be married and to stay together, then I think it's just as important. But I think that there are some people who don't feel that way anymore. Fair enough, Kelly. Appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Yes, thank you. That is Kelly Fife, Hamilton-based therapist specializing in individual couples and family therapy. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A neighborhood dispute in Burlington has caught the attention of many people on social media. You probably saw the story in the Hamilton Spectator as well, or tweets or Facebook posts about it. Maybe it's on Instagram or your favorite TikTok feed. It also caught the attention of late-night talk show Jimmy Kimmel Live. And so I'll get into the dispute. And heck, if you want to call in or email in or tweet in on which side of this dispute you are on, feel free to do so. Before we get to this dispute, Jimmy Kimmel loves Canada, by the way. Remember when he had a blast with the name of a small town in Newfoundland? This is something I can't believe it took me 51 years of my life to find out about. There's a town in Newfoundland, Newfoundland, which is in Canada, that has... Well, maybe you guys know about this. Well, tonight in uh, your community, Amanda is in the town of Dildo, where you can experience two unique boating experiences. We are here in Dildo and joining me is Andrew Pretty and Karen McDonald. Tell me a little bit about your story, uh, when you came to, to Dildo and why you came here. I came to Dildo because I really love this place and uh, I still enjoy, I'm, I love like Dildo. Uh, there, there's one woman, I don't know if you caught it, in the audience who at the first reference of the word she's like, whoa, we're talking about this. <laughs> Well, a neighborhood dispute in Burlington recently caught the attention of the TV show Once Again, which this time was guest hosted by Anthony Anderson. Have a listen. I'd like to take a quick moment to recognize some creativity that happened north of the border in Canada, because I think this might be history's funniest way to mess 
with your neighbors. Burlington resident Linda Lee says her morning routine has been disrupted by a display that cannot be missed from her kitchen window. The raccoon house sitting at the corner of their backyard is decorated with various sex toys stuck to its roof. It was put there by their neighbor after a dispute over a tree. The Lee say that the display has negatively impacted their family and social lives, putting a damper on a recent birthday party they hosted for Linda's mom's 91st birthday. Happy birthday, Linda! Yeah, happy birthday indeed. So if you haven't seen or heard about this story, here it is in a nutshell. And again, you can call in or send me an email, rick at 900chml.com, the phone number 905-645-3221 or star 9900 on your cell. On which side, I guess which side of the fence, you you sit on? Because the issue revolved around a dead tree that was in a homeowner's backyard. So homeowner number one has this dead tree. And some of the branches are uh, intruding or encroaching into homeowner number two's backyard. So homeowner number one, as the story goes, agrees to remove this dead tree. Like, you know, what are you going to do with a dead tree? Uh, If his neighbors agree to help pay for it. So this is where it kind of gets fuzzy. Because whether you have taken down a tree uh, erected a fence, there's always that conversation with your next door neighbor. Hey, do you want to help pay for it? And sometimes that neighbor says, yeah, and sometimes that neighbor says, no. Well, in this case, homeowner number one, the one with the dead tree, says he was stuck with a $1,000 bill. And his neighbors, homeowner number two, called bylaw officers because, well, apparently they didn't think the tree was going to be removed. Well, in fact, the tree was cut. But it wasn't cut all the way down to the ground. No, no, no. This homeowner, homeowner number one with the dead tree, decided to leave the stump stretching above the eight-foot-tall fence. So while the tree is still dead, the stump is still standing tall. And on the top of this stump is a little wee house in bright pink. And the homeowner, homeowner number one with the dead tree, has erected some, let's just call them sex toys, at the top of this little house in clear view of his next door neighbor, homeowner number two, that wanted the tree to take down, that apparently called bylaw officers because they didn't think this tree was going to take down. And so (laughs) whose side are you on? Homeowner number one that has erected this rather interesting display, even though they've taken down the tree, they've paid $1,000, you know, they, they did what was asked. A homeowner number two, which is now staring at this box of sex toys, is obviously not happy with this situation. Did the homeowner, did, did homeowner number one, with the unique display, go overboard? Or did his neighbors deserve the virtual middle finger? I'm I'm going with as bad as it sounds. My gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this. I think I'm going I'm siding with homeowner number 1. He ultimately did what was asked of him. Took down the tree. Now, I'm not defending the display, although it would make for an interesting game of ring toss, would you not think? I would think so. You know, a lot of people play cornhole in their backyards. Why not a game of ring toss? Now, that is what they should have done at their birthday party. We'll leave it there. (laughs) You can have your debate. Or, hey, send me an email, rick at 900chml.com. I'm eager to hear which side of the fence 
you are on. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.